Common Law Wives and Concubines, Essays on Covenantal Christianity and Contemporary Western Culture, Stephen C. Perks. This is a Reconstructionist radio production with lrnteach.com. Please visit kuiper.org forward slash books to download or purchase this book. Common Law Wives and Concubines, Essays on Covenantal Christianity and Contemporary Western Culture, Stephen C. Perks, 2010, Kuiper Foundation, Taunton, England, narrated by Nathan Conkey. Chapter 8. What is Spirituality? Spirituality and spiritual are terms constantly used by Christians, yet seldom defined. No Christian would question the need for spiritual development, but what this means is left to the individual to work out. When spirituality is discussed and taught, it is often vaguely defined at best, and the result is that spirituality is equated with a sort of mysticism or spiritual experiences and charismatic gifts. Yet, seldom is the subject explored from the biblical perspective. Even among charismatics, there's often little exegesis of scriptural texts relating to spirituality, as opposed to texts relating to spiritual gifts. Rather, assumptions are made about spirituality, which remains unexplored biblically. To be sure, spirituality is understood as being, quote, in tune with the Lord, end quote, or, quote, walking close to the Lord, end quote, etc. But, again, these ideas are often very vague and undefined. And now, not only are Christians and other people who are perceived as religious types using the term, teachers in state schools, for example, are now held responsible for the intellectual, social, physical, moral and spiritual development of the child. But what does this mean? We now have New Age spirituality, which hardly sits well with Christian spirituality, though among evangelicals today, all sorts of ideas about spirituality are popular. Celtic spirituality, for example, seems particularly popular at the moment, though I have not as yet found anyone who really seems to know what it is, at least sufficiently to be able to explain it to me. Hence, it is just another type of mysticism. Whatever notion of spirituality is adopted, it seems that being spiritual or spiritually mature is regarded as essential to knowing how to live the Christian life properly, especially when it comes to that old problem of guidance. And here it is that the church so often finds herself adrift on a sea of changing ideas and fashions, tossed to and fro by all manner of strange phenomena claiming to be the latest work of the Spirit of God in our midst. Some get guidance from the Spirit directly through impressions in the mind, quote, words from the Lord, unquote, and the like, while others evidently do not. Does this make the former more spiritually mature than the latter, who are less, quote, in tune with the Spirit, unquote? Doubtless to some it does, even if it is not overtly stated. Then, there is the common contrast between the spiritual and the intellectual, in which the mind or intellect is set up in some kind of antithesis to the spirit or spiritual understanding. Intellectual knowledge is often perceived as dangerous and detrimental to the development of spiritual understanding and the reception of spirit-inspired guidance. In this perspective, the use of the mind is rejected as a sort of fleshly temptation, In some charismatic churches and movements, the concept of spirituality that prevails could perhaps be described more accurately as a kind of spiritualism. So important are beliefs about genealogies of demons and demon possession of particular human bloodlines, problems with being afflicted with curses, deliverance ministry and the like. Even to question this kind of spiritualism is often taken as a sure sign that one is not sensitive to the spirit. Such ideas seem more akin to animism than Christianity. 
Yet, when we look at the effects of such an understanding of spirituality, we see not the spirit of a sound mind, the order and discipline that the Bible tells us should characterize the lives of those who are followers of Christ, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 7, but rather the very opposite, that is, a tendency to mental instability, disorder, and even chaos that affects both congregational meetings and individuals. The, quote, Toronto blessing, unquote, is a pertinent example. The nearest biblical incident of a man behaving like a beast I can think of is Nebuchadnezzar, who was driven to live like an animal until he acknowledged that sovereignty belongs to God. Daniel chapter 4, verses 28 to 37. Yet, at Holy Trinity Church, Brompton, London, I saw men acting like animals under the pretense that they were receiving some blessing from the Holy Spirit. One man who got up to give his testimony was so constantly racked with a violent jerking of the knees and head that initially I thought he was severely disabled. As he gave his testimony, however, it became clear that he had no disability. His behaviour was a blessing from the Holy Spirit. When the Toronto blessing came upon the participating congregation as a whole at the end of the service, I saw people running up and down the aisles imitating cockerels, roaring like lions, and imitating various other assorted farmyard animals. Along with this, there was the jabber and insanity of various other manifestations recorded throughout history in times of, quote, revival, unquote, violent shaking, uncontrollable weeping, crying and laughing, stamping and parrying. The anarchy and lack of discipline of such meetings is in stark contrast with the obedience to God's law and the discipline and order that the Bible demands of believers in their worship. Even in small meetings and Bible studies, those who claim to have the gift of, quote, speaking in tongues, unquote, will continually babble away under their breath with just enough volume to make sure everyone knows what they are doing, despite the fact that we are told clearly in Scripture to pray with the mind as well as the spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 15 and forbidden to speak in tongues without a translation. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 28. This contrast between obedience to Scripture and the reputed manifestations of the gifts of the Spirit, being, quote, in tune with the Spirit, unquote, etc., has not diminished with the decline of the charismatic movement as such, but has, in some respects, become more common as the influence of charismatic ideas has become more widely diffused within evangelicalism, though in a more diluted form. The result is that evangelical churches are no nearer to being able to act on biblical principles of guidance than they were before the advent of this era of spiritual gifts. And this reputed great movement of the Spirit in the charismatic churches seems to have had no effect whatsoever on the decline of the church and of the faith in Britain. When it comes to pastoral matters, this situation only makes things worse. People sit around waiting for God to speak, rather than seeking to understand and apply the biblical principles of life that have already been revealed in Scripture. The answer to all sorts of problems in the Christian life is seen as a new revelation from the Spirit, rather than the development of a Christian mind through the study and understanding of Scripture. So, what is spirituality? What does it mean to live a spiritual life? How is spirituality defined biblically? The answer is given very clearly in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 16, where walking in or according to the Spirit is contrasted with walking in the flesh. But what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? In itself, this gets us no further we still need an explanation, and which spirit is being referred to? Ours or the Holy Spirit? And Christians who use this term profusely should, at least these days, stop to consider how the term is used more generally, because non-Christians now use the terminology of spirituality a great deal. What is spirituality to a non-Christian? Do we mean the same thing? Hardly. New Agers use the term, and Unless we understand the difference, 
and are able to explain it clearly to others who do not share our faith, our use of the term in the present cultural-slash-religious climate will be misleading. Personally, I tried to avoid the term because of this, though its use by Christians prior to the advent of New Age spiritual ideas was not altogether well-defined or helpful. And what of teachers who are to promote the spiritual development of their pupils? Well, walking in the spirit could mean living according to our own spirit, that is, getting in touch with our own spirit. The New Age idea of getting in tune with oneself at the deepest level. Or it could mean living in tune with the Holy Spirit. I shall take it as granted that for Christians, the latter is the correct meaning. But this still leaves us a lack of focus and room for much difference of interpretation and misunderstanding because what Christians believe about the Holy Spirit differs so much. Fortunately, Paul does not leave us guessing about these questions. He explains what it means to walk in the Spirit very clearly. Interestingly, the criterion clearly set out by Paul as as characterising living in the Spirit, in contrast to living in the flesh, is seldom mentioned in the context of discussion about spirituality, at least not in a positive sense. The criterion Paul gives us is obedience to God's law. Romans chapter 8 verse 7 The one who walks or lives in the flesh is hostile towards God, we are told, because the mind does not subject itself to the law of God. Now, this is interesting because discussion of spirituality among Christians, at least in my experience, seldom revolves around the criterion Paul uses here. Spirituality is not usually seen in terms of adherence to God's law. More often, the law of God is assumed mistakenly to be the, quote, law of sin and death, unquote, mentioned in verse 2. Yet, Paul shows clearly that the inability to subject one's mind to God's law characterises those who walk according to the flesh, not those who walk according to the Spirit, because the law, he tells us in verse 14 of chapter 7, is spiritual. The one who walks in the Spirit is the one who is prepared to subject his mind and thus his whole life to God's law, according to Paul. He is the spiritual person. Indeed, Paul even goes so far as to say that God sent his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin, in order that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in those who walk in, or according to the Spirit. Chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. Clearly, therefore, when we come to understanding what spirituality is, we must take into account this doctrine. If we fail to understand that salvation is essentially deliverance from bondage to sin, that is, disobedience to God's law, into obedience to God, as he has set down his will for man in his law, we shall fail also to understand the true nature of spirituality. All sorts of ideas foreign to the Bible or biblical ideas that have been twisted in our understanding, will then come to dominate our ideas of spirituality and guidance. Such foreign and twisted ideas have been common in the church through the ages and are still common. We are now in a better position to answer the question, quote, What is spirituality from a biblical perspective? 1. The spiritual man, that is, the one who, quote, walks in the spirit, end quote, as defined by the Bible, is first one who is a son of God, quote, for as many as, that is, all who are, led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God, end quote. Romans chapter 8 verse 14. The spiritual person is one who has received the spirit of God, who has been delivered from his sin, that is, from bondage to disobedience to God through faith in Christ, by the working of the Holy Spirit, who has received the spirit of adoption and has God as his Father. Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16. First of all, therefore, to be spiritual or spiritually minded, let us not forget that the spiritual man is one whose mind is subject to God's law, is to trust God and Christ for salvation. It is to recognise that one cannot save oneself by one's own works one's own righteousness, and 
It is to trust oneself solely to Christ as the one who delivers us from our sins. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of faith. Trust in Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. Therefore, those who are spirit-led are those who trust Christ for salvation. We shall go on to consider the necessity of obedience as the fruit of this faith. But here I want to stress that the beginning of true spirituality is the abandonment of our own righteousness, our own works. As a means of reconciliation with God, it is to trust oneself totally to Christ. Salvation is the gift of God in Christ, not the reward of self-righteousness. Those who will be saved must turn to God in Christ and trust in him as the one who delivers men from sin. Only this work of grace in the human heart by the Holy Spirit, granting faith to God's elect, makes one a spiritual person, that is, one led by, or living according to, the Holy Spirit. This faith is the gift of God, not the product of the human will, or the reward of our own works. Quote, For ye are saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. End quote. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9. The spiritual person is one who has received the gift of faith in Christ by the working of the Holy Spirit in his heart and who is therefore a son of God. The spiritual person is one who has been freed, delivered from the power of sin and death by the spirit of life in Christ and who is thus no longer under condemnation for sin. Romans chapter 8 verse 2. 2. This deliverance from sin involves a complete change of mind. The word Repentance in the New Testament, metanoia, means a change of mind. Repentance is the changing of one's mind about God and his will for one's life. It should manifest itself, therefore, in the whole of a person's outlook. The Bible has much to say about the mind. Many Christians today have a wrong understanding of the mind. As we have seen, the mind is often seen in some kind of antithesis with the spirit or spiritual understanding. This perspective is foreign to the Bible. On the contrary, the Bible defines true spirituality as a mind set on the law of God. Romans chapter 8 verses 6 and 7. You know the old proverb, quote, A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still, end quote. A man who says he's a Christian and believes in Christ but whose mind has not been changed, is a man who has not repented. Christianity is not a form of fire insurance against being thrown into hell. It is not something we take on just in case something nasty happens, like the Last Judgment. It does not consist in the saying of mere words or creeds. It involves a complete change of mind, a turning away from what had been our unbelieving attitudes, views, aspirations, etc., to subjection to the mind of God's law. Conversion to the Christian faith involves a change of mind. Now, this emphasis on the mind is a biblical emphasis. Paul describes the unbeliever as one given up to a depraved mind. Romans chapter 1 verse 28. The carnal mind, he tells us, is hostile towards God. Romans chapter 8 verse 7. Non-believers live in the vanity or futility of their minds. Ephesians 4 verse 17. Paul warns the Colossians not to be misled by those who have a, quote, fleshly mind, unquote. Colossians chapter 2 verse 18. He tells them they were once alienated and hostile in mind towards God and therefore involved in evil deeds. Colossians chapter 1 verse 21. The unbelieving Israelites were people whose minds were hardened, 2 Corinthians 3 verse 14. Non-believers have their minds blinded by the God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4. Paul expresses his concern for the Corinthians, lest their minds should be led astray, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 3. In contrast with this unbelieving mind, Christians are those to whom God has given the spirit of a sound Mind, 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. The new covenant is one in which God puts his laws into our minds and hearts. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 10. 
We are commanded to love the Lord our God with all our mind. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Christians are those who have left aside the old self with its corruptions, lusts and deeds and are being renewed in the spirit of their minds. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 and 23. God shall keep the hearts and minds of believers in Christ. Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. Peter tells us to gird up our minds for action. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. And writes his epistle in order to stir our minds. 2 Peter 3, verse 1. The Christian is one who has changed his mind, whose mind has been renewed. Spirituality is the development of a renewed mind that is subject to God's law. Guidance in the Christian life, therefore, comes from the development of a renewed understanding that is subject to God's word, that is, governed by God's law. 3. This change of mind resulting from belief in Christ leads to a different kind of lifestyle. What is this lifestyle? As already mentioned, it is a life that is subject to God's law, which is God's revealed standard of justice or holiness. As we have already seen, Paul shows us that the spiritual mind is a mind that is subject to God's law. Romans chapter 8, verses 6 to 8. But there is more. Paul says that the fruit of the Spirit, that is, the fruit of living in conformity with the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Notice that he does not say that the fruit of the Spirit is pietism. And he says elsewhere, quote, And now abideth faith, hope, and charity, that is, love, agape. But the greatest of these is charity, agape. End quote. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. Love, agape, we are told, of God and of one's neighbour, is the sum of the whole law and of the prophets. Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 40. But what is the love, agape, spoken of here? Paul tells us plainly, love, agape, is the fulfilling, that is, the keeping of the law. Romans chapter 13, verse 10. The context makes this even plainer. Paul says, quote, Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another has fulfilled the law. End quote. Romans chapter 13, verse 8. But what does this mean? Paul explains immediately, quote, For this, Thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended, that is summed up in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself, end quote. Romans chapter 13 verse 9. Why? Because, quote, love worketh no ill to his neighbour, therefore love is the fulfilling that is, the keeping of the law, end quote. Romans chapter 13, verse 10. Christ tells us, quote, If ye love me, keep my commandments, end quote. John chapter 14, verse 15. And John tells us that we know we have come to know Christ by keeping his commandments. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. And that anyone who claims to be a Christian, but who does not keep the commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. 1 John chapter 2, verse 4. The one who has the fruit of the Spirit is one who loves both God and his neighbour, and love is the keeping of the law, both with respect to God and one's neighbour. Here again, therefore, spirituality, that is, living in conformity with the Spirit, is defined as obedience to God's law. 2. We get the same result if we look at this from another angle that of the purpose of the sending of the Holy Spirit. Christ says, quote, It is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove, that is, convict, the world of sin and of judgment and of righteousness. End quote. John chapter 16, verses 7 and 8. The spiritual person is, is one who lives in conformity with the Spirit, 
one who is sensitive to the will of the Spirit in his life. But what is it that the Spirit comes to do? To convict the world of sin, judgment and righteousness. Let us look a little more closely now at these three convictions that the Holy Spirit comes to work in the world. A. The Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of sin. But what is sin? The Bible leaves us in no doubt about what sin is. Quote, sin is the transgression of the law. End quote. 1 John chapter 3 verse 4. Thus, where there is no law, neither is there transgression. Romans chapter 4 verse 15. The Spirit comes to convict the world of sin, to reprove man for his disobedience to God's law, which is God's revealed will for man. The Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of judgment. What does this mean? The word used, crisis, from which we get the English word crisis, means a separating, selection, or a decision, judgment. The Spirit comes to convict the world of the judgment that must necessarily come to a world of sinners who have disobeyed a righteous God. God is not politically correct. He discriminates. And the basis on which he discriminates, the criterion he uses to discriminate, is his righteous law, which is perfect justice. Those who transgress are judged and condemned. But for those who trust in Christ, the judgment fell on Christ at Calvary. This is what it means for Christ to bear our sin. C. The Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of righteousness. But what is righteousness? The word used for righteousness in the New Testament means, quote, conformity to the divine will in purpose, thought, and action, end quote. But then, what is the divine will? Where do we find it? How do we know what God requires of us? How he requires us to purpose, think, and act? By looking into the perfect law of God, which is a perfect transcription of God's righteousness, quote, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. End quote. Psalm 19, verse 7. Psalm chapter 19, verse 7. Quote, the statutes of the law are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. End quote. Psalms chapter 19, verse 8. Quote, For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is a light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. End quote. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 23. Righteousness is conformity to God's will as revealed in his law, in purpose, thought, and action. Thus, Righteousness means justice, since what is just is defined by God's law. The Spirit, therefore, comes to convict us of righteousness, to show us not only that we are sinners, disobedient to God's holy law, but that we must also conform to the law if we are to be righteous. Now, someone will say that our righteousness is Christ and that we are justified by his righteousness, not our own. This is true. This is the gospel. But Christ's righteousness is perfect conformity to the divine will in purpose, thought and action. The definition of righteousness is the same. We are saved by his righteousness, by means of his substitutionary life and death on our behalf. But the nature of righteousness remains unchanged. And though we are not delivered from our sins by our own law keeping, that is, our own righteousness, but by Christ's righteousness, we are delivered from our sin so that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, that is, so that we might live obediently to God's law. Romans chapter 8 verse 4. Thus, Paul says, quote, How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? End quote. Romans chapter 6 verse 2. In other words, how can those who have been delivered from sin, from bondage to disobedience to God's law, continue to live disobedient lives. The life of the believer is to be characterised by obedience, not disobedience. Our obedience is the response of faith, not the cause of it. Obedience to God's law does not save us, but it is still required of us. And the Spirit comes to convict us of this, to show us that we must obey and to lead us into the truth. John chapter 16 verse 13 that we might obey God's law.
Therefore Paul says that by faith, that is, through faith, quote, we establish the law, end quote, Romans chapter 3, verse 31. In these three particulars, therefore, we see that the work of the Holy Spirit is a work of enlightenment, but enlightenment of a specific kind, namely a work of conviction. The Spirit does not come to enlighten the world with mystical revelations and spurious spiritual experiences. He comes to convict us that we have sinned, transgressed against God's righteous law, God's spiritual law, that God judges those who transgresses against his law, and that his righteousness is the standard of behaviour, the rule of life that he requires of us. The law shows us what it means to conform to the divine will in purpose, thought and action. Of course, we are convicted also that we cannot escape the judgment that awaits those who disobey God's law, except by faith in Christ. So Jesus says, quote, He, the Holy Spirit, shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you, end quote. John chapter 16, verse 14. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, judgment, and righteousness, all concepts that relate to God's righteousness as it is revealed in his law. So, the one who is spirit-led in the way he lives is one who is convicted, convinced of the righteousness of God's law, of man's sin in disobeying it, of the inevitability of God's righteous judgment against that disobedience, and of man's need to conform to that law in purpose, thought and action. And he is the one who knows, to whom the Holy Spirit has revealed, that only in Christ is there forgiveness and reconciliation with God. This is the truth into which the Holy Spirit leads men. Being spirit-filled or spirit-led by this definition begins now to look much more familiar, more recognisable as the kind of behaviour that the Bible requires of us. Being spirit-led is not being led astray by all sorts of spurious experiences into some kind of, quote, Christian, unquote, spiritualism, such as we often see in those churches that claim to have direct revelations from God. Revelations that seem to lead people into ever more bizarre and disturbing behaviour, mental instability, the breakdown of personal and congregational discipline, and increasing chaos, so that the church begins to resemble some kind of mystical sect rather than the congregation of a people who have received the spirit of discipline. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7 The Bible has no time for the heretical notion that the law of God and the spirit of God are in opposition to each other. The law is spiritual, Romans chapter 7 verse 14, and the Spirit comes to convict the world of the need for conformity to God's law, that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in those who walk in the Spirit, that is, in those who are spiritual, Romans chapter 8 verses 3 to 6. But what of Paul's statement that in Christ we are set free from the, quote, law of sin and death, end quote, Romans chapter 8, verse 2. The law of sin and death spoken of here is not the law of God. How could it be? Paul has told us that by faith we establish the law of God, that the law is spiritual, that the Spirit comes to lead us into conformity with that law. What then is, quote, law of sin and death, end quote? It is simply the ruling power of sin and death. Paul does not refer to God's law as being a law of sin and death, but rather to the dominating power of sin in producing death. The, quote, law of sin and death, end quote, is the ruling power, the dominating influence of sin in its capacity to produce death. This is not a novel interpretation. For example, C.E.B. Cranfield writes in his commentary on Romans, quote, it would seem that Paul is here using the word law metaphorically to denote exercised power, authority, control, and that he means by the law of sin, the power, the authority, the control exercised over us by sin. It is a forceful way of making the point that the power which sin has over us is a terrible travesty, a grotesque parody of that authority over us which belongs by right to God's holy law. Sin exercising such authority over us is a hideous usurpation of the prerogative of God's law. End quote. 
likewise John Murray. Law, in this instance, is used in the sense of rule or principle of action. The usual signification of law, however, as that which propounds and demands action, need not be suppressed. The law of sin may be conceived of as not only impelling to action that is antithetical to the law of God, but also as dictating such action. End quote. And Calvin says, I would not dare, with some interpreters, take the law of sin and death to mean the law of God. End quote. There is, therefore, no antithesis between the Spirit and the law of God. Rather, the antithesis is between the Spirit of life, who comes to free us from disobedience to God's law, sin, and to enable us to obey God's law and the law of sin and death, that is, the ruling power of sin, which leads us to disobey God's law. 4. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of a sound mind, or a disciplined mind. Quote, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. End quote. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Note again the reference to love, agape, which is defined biblically as obedience to God's commandments. See 3, 1 above. Modern translations usually have, quote, of power, of love, and discipline, end quote. Ultimately, it comes to the same thing, since discipline, the ability to correct oneself according to God's word, is essentially to wisdom, and thus to a sound mind. What is clear from this is that a mind that is spirit-filled, or spirit-led, is a disciplined mind. It is not characterised by instability regarding one's understanding and practice of the faith. The spirit is also a spirit of order. Congregational meetings that are spirit-led will be orderly meetings, meetings characterised by discipline. Compare 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 40. Paul counsels the Corinthians that non-believers who see the church acting disorderly would think they are mad. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 23. Therefore, they are to make sure everything happens in an orderly fashion. Disorderliness in church meetings is not a mark of the Spirit, nor is disorderliness and indiscipline a mark of the Spirit in the individual. The Spirit-led person is one whose life is characterised by discipline in the faith, including stability in understanding and practice of the faith, that is, wisdom. This gives us a very clear benchmark against which to assess claims that people or churches are being led by the Spirit. Is this spirit of discipline what we find among those individuals and churches that claim to be led by the Spirit, who claim that they have received directions and revelations from the Holy Spirit? If not, then the claim to be Spirit-led is vain. Those who engage in disorderly and chaotic meetings and those with disorderly and chaotic lives have not understood the meaning of spirituality. Indeed, we tend to find quite the reverse. Namely, that those who proclaim loudest that their churches and lives are spirit-led tend to display greater disorder, an observable lack of discipline, lack of understanding, and an inability to act in terms of biblical wisdom. In other words, immaturity in the faith. One thinks immediately of the, quote, Toronto blessing, unquote, phenomenon. But this is merely the latest fad in a long-established tradition of idiocy in the charismatic movement. The experience of many is that those who claim a never-ending stream of revelations and, quote, words, unquote, from the Holy Spirit are least concerned of all about knowing, understanding and applying God's law to their lives and churches in order that they might live in a disciplined way according to biblical wisdom. It would not be going too far to say that, on the whole, charismatic churches, least of all, can be said to be characterised as disciplined churches, and often an element of mental instability can be observed. And I think this latter observation can be explained, to some extent, by the fact that the unbiblical ideas of spirituality that tend to prevail in such churches are inherently destabilising mentally. Least of all could it be said of charismatic churches that they are characterised by the spirit of a sound mind. I have been asked to discuss the nature of spirituality and to explain my assertion that to be spiritual is to trust and obey God. 
This is not meant to be a pogrom against charismatic churches. I have written on this subject because I have been asked to do so, but if I am to acquit myself properly of this task, I must deal with the relevant issues pertaining to it. I must highlight the serious problems relating to the practice of faulty spirituality, not because I wish to lambast particular people or churches. I do not wish to do so, but because misunderstanding of what constitutes biblical spirituality has issued in a serious failure to practice the Christian faith properly, a failure that is particularly relevant to the charismatic churches, and a failure that seriously inhibits the church's mission in the world, as this is defined biblically. All of us fall short, but knowing that we do, and where we fall short, is half the battle in overcoming our lack of true spirituality, and this is impossible if use of the mind in accordance with biblical teaching is automatically viewed with suspicion as unspiritual. Why? Because, as we have seen, it is through the renewing of the mind by the Spirit that we grow in our faith and in our understanding of the faith and thus become more spiritual in our thoughts and actions. So, what is a sound mind or a disciplined mind, biblically speaking? What is spiritual discipline? 1. Spiritual discipline is the ability to use scriptural wisdom as a means of guidance. It is not reliance on every impression that enters one's mind as a means of guidance, nor is it being tossed about with every whim or fashion of quote, spiritual unquote experience that blows in one's direction. It is the disciplining of the mind according to God's word. The most difficult battle that anyone ever has to face is the conquest of the mind, and here it is that we see the Holy Spirit at work in the sanctifying process, because, as a man thinks, so is he. Proverbs 23 verse 7 We are what we think, the Bible tells us, not what we eat. The way we think determines the way we speak and act. If we are to conquer our words and our actions, we must first conquer our minds Renewing of the mind by the Holy Spirit is what leads us to obedient living, that is, sanctified living. This spiritual discipline involves this spiritual discipline, this spiritual discipline involves understanding God's Word and the ability to apply it. This is not mere theological knowledge, knowledge of or commitment to Reformed creeds and doctrine, as some seem to think. Knowledge of doctrine valid as it is, even vital as it is, does not, on its own, constitute true spirituality. True spirituality is more a question of developing a Christian mind, a Christian world and life view, and living in terms of this. Something that, something that Reformed churches, as much as any brand of Christianity, as much as any brand of Christianity tend to, depre- tend to depreciate, this is a ma- this is a matter of developing a this is a matter of developing a biblical wisdom to use John Peck's definition that is the discerning ability to recognize one's situation and apply biblical principles of life appropriately bibl- biblical principles of life appropriately this is something that is learned we put on Christ Paul tells us quote, "put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ" End quote. Romans 13 verse 4. Wisdom is required. Wisdom is acquired through the wisdom is acquired through learning and practice in the submission of one's mind to the to God's word. Neither is wisdom something that exists in a vacuum, that is, divorced from an understanding of the world in which we live. It cannot it cannot coexist well with retreat. It cannot coexist well with retreat and isolation from the world because as a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the purpose of the acquisition of biblical wisdom is to enable us to live redemptively in the world, that is, to live in such a way that we bring ourselves and the world in which we are placed and to which and to which we relate continually into subjection to Christ. We are commanded to go out into all the world with the message of Christ. We are commanded to go out into all the world with the message of Christ. Mark 16 verse 15. Pietism, therefore, pietism, therefore, 
is not a manifestation of biblical is not a manifestation of biblical wisdom. It is rather the opposite of biblical wisdom, namely an attempt to escape in some way from the world, to abandon the world, or at least significant aspects of it. Pietism is the opposite of living re- is the opposite of living redemptively in the world. Pietism is the opposite of living redemptively in the whole of life. The purpose of biblical wisdom, or the development of a Christian mind, a Christian world and life view, is to enable us to live redemptively in the world, and therefore transform it, bringing everything we touch into subjection to the obedience of Christ. 2 Corinthians 10 verses 3 to 5 2. A disciplined mind, or a or a spirit of self-discipline, leads to reasonable service. Paul says, quote, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies as a your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. End quote. Romans twelve, verse one. Some translations have spiritual worship, have quote, spiritual worship instead of quote, reasonable service. The words used the words used the words used mean quote, reasonable end quote, or quote, rational service end quote, or or quote, rational service end quote. the av is the better translation the word translated as reasonable is the word from which we derive the words logic and logical according to john murray quote, the service here in view is worshipful service, and the apostle characterizes it as rational because it is worship that derives its character as acceptable to God from the fact that it enlists our mind, reason, our intellect. It is rational in contrast with what is mechanical and automatic. A great many of our bodily functions do not enlist volition on our part. <laughs> but the worship, but the worship. But the worshipful service here enjoined must constrain intelligent volition. The lesson to be derived from the term rational is that we are not spiritual in the biblical sense, except as the use of our bodies is characterized by conscious, intelligent, consecrated devotion to the service of God. End quote. The word service does not refer does not refer merely to worship services, either privately or in church, but rather to a whole but rather to a whole life of service to God. Paul is not speaking merely about what we do in church or at Bible studies or in family devotions. He is speaking about the character of our whole lives, which are to be lives of reasonable, rational service to God. This has some significant implications for the way we live our lives the way we worship together in congregational meetings. According to Paul, according to Paul here, there is no room in the Christian life of service for the mindless emotional binges that have become common in the, quote, worship, end quote, services of many evangelical churches, nor insane antics such as those to be observed at, quote, Toronto blessing, unquote, meetings. Our service to God our life of working for his kingdom in all its aspects is to be rational. Mysticism and Gnosticism are not part of the Christian religion. The Christian faith is a reasonable, a rational faith. Therefore, we are required to be able to give a reasoned defense of the faith to all who ask. 1 Peter 3 verse 15 Here again, we see that the use of the mind in defending the faith, which the Bible commends, indeed demands of us, is often incorrectly deprecated by Christians who have come to believe that defending the faith with reasoned argument is not a spiritual activity because it involves intellectual effort. And intellectual effort is perceived often as the antithesis of being spiritual. Spirituality, in this perspective, is divorced from the use of the intellect. The Bible denies this dichotomy. The spiritual person, that is, 
the spirit-led person is one who is always ready to give a reason for the hope that is in him, for the, for the hope that is in him, that is, a reasoned defense of the faith. God requires the service of our minds in the whole of our life of service. To fail to use our minds in the minds in the service of God is to offer a worship that is not acceptable. Acceptable worship to God is rational worship, worship that quote enlists our mind, our enlists our mind, our reason, our intellect. End quote. Three, spirituality or the spirit spirit led life is a life of dominion in our callings to bring all nations under the discipline of Christ, the Great Commission, Matthew twenty eight verses eighteen to twenty, and all areas and aspects of life into confirm into conformity with His Word, the cult, the cultural mandate, Genesis one verse twenty eight. I said earlier that wisdom cannot be divorced from the world in which we live, since its purpose is to enable us to live redemptively in the world for God's glory and in His service. As far as this life is concerned, we cannot be spiritual unless we are engaged in the life of the world. Why? Because our calling as God's people, the new humanity of Christ, is to bring all things into subjection to God's world. God's word, Mark 16 verse 15, 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5. This spiritual person, or spirit-led person, is the person who is a, is the person who is obedient to the great commission and the cultural mandate. Our purpose in serving God here on earth is to claim the world for Christ. Dominion is a biblical principle, but without biblical wisdom, there is no dominion, only domination, and as Christ made clear, we are not to pursue dom- we are not to pursue domination. Matthew twenty verse twenty five. The spirit-led life is a life of dominion under God's law, not a life of domination over others. And this is something that especially those who see themselves in positions of spiritual authority should remember, because spiritual domination is a snare and a temptation to many pastors and clergymen. Christ does not call teachers and pastors to bully and manipulate their flocks like little popes, nor does he give them divine authority to demand absolute obedience to their every woman diktat. The spiritual man is not a man characterized by fear, but by boldness, power, and discipline. Second Timothy one verse seven. Boldness without discipline can easily turn into brashness, and this can, and often does, lead to bullying among those who aspire to be spiritual leaders in the church. Control freaks have vandalized the church throughout much of history, just as their counterparts in the world of politics have ruined nations. It was said of John Knox that he feared God so much that he feared no man alive, and he suffered at the hands of men himself. But the fear of God brings humility also and self-discipline. Without the fear of God and wisdom, there can be no true dominion, and thus no reclaiming of the world which is Christ's inheritance, and our inheritance in him. Matthew 5 verse 5 Our cultural mandate is to exercise dominion over the earth under God as his vicegerent, not to exercise domination over other people's lives. The former builds the kingdom of God, the latter builds mere human empires, whether of the political or the ecclesiastical variety, all of which will perish before the kingdom of God. Our focus must be kingdom-oriented, and we must build the kingdom of God with spiritual means and wage war against our enemy with spiritual weapons, that is, in obedience to God's law. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 following. Neither are we to fear Satan. Many there are whose Christian lives whose Christian lives are almost dominated by talk of and thought about Satan, whose churches are forever getting involved with demon deliverance and blaming everything that goes wrong in their lives on attacks from the devil, from 
burning the Sunday dinner to adultery. The world for these people is infested with demons. This is not a Christian view of the world and, in fact, is more akin to animism. The mindset or worldview produced by this perspective is neither healthy nor biblical. Indeed, it is the opposite of biblical wisdom. Satan has no power that is not given him by God. Our lives are to be governed by our relationship to God and Christ by conformity to his will as revealed in, as revealed in his law. If we observe this rule of spirituality, we need have no fear of Satan. The spiritual person is the one who works for dominion in Christ by applying biblical principles of wisdom and discipline in the whole of life. As, as he does so, he develops a Christian mind, a Christian world and life view, and this enables him to face those situations in life that are difficult and for which he needs guidance by using his Christian mind in terms of biblical wisdom to determine how he should act. This is how true spirituality is developed. The chart on page 111 summarises the issues discussed in this essay and contrasts biblical spirituality with the prevailing features of many spurious ideas of spirituality of spirituality that are currently popular, both in the church and in the world. To conclude, spirituality is a term much abused and misunderstood to mean many different things. Christian spirituality must be defined biblically if we are to develop if we are to if we are to develop if we are to develop spiritually rather than being led astray with every wind of spurious doctrine that blows our way we must seek to understand the meaning of spirituality in terms of god's revealed word in terms of biblical teaching the spiritual man is one a son of god that is redeemed by god's grace in christ through faith he is one who has the spirit of faith and trusts Christ for salvation. 2. He has thoroughly changed his mind, repented, that is, turned away from his sin to Christ, and wishes to live the whole of his life according to God's will. He is one who is being renewed in his mind. 3. He has turned to God's law as the divinely revealed pattern for his life, and therefore seeks to understand it, and to apply it, and apply it, and apply it to his life and apply it to his life. He is disciplining a, four, he is disciplining himself according to God's word. One, by seeking to develop a Christian mind, a Christian wisdom or world and life view which will guide him through life. Two, by seeking to render a reasonable, a rational service to God in the whole of life, enabling him to obey, enabling him to give a reasonable defense of the faith to those who ask it of him, and three, by seeking to exercise dominion in following Christ by being obedient to the Great Commission and the cultural mandate across the whole spectrum of life. Now, all this can be summed up in this aphorism. To be spiritual is to trust and obey God. Spirituality is not a mystical feeling a, or, or spiritual revelations or Gnostic insight. The one who is led by the Spirit is the one who trusts and obeys God. In order to enable us to trust and obey, the Holy Spirit renews our minds and hearts. Thus, to put it another way, the spiritual person is the one whose heart and mind have been renewed by the Holy Spirit and whose life and whose life proceeds from this and whose life proceeds from this renewed mind. For as a man thinks, so he is. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows 
or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.